Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he, impaired, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the words of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So I appreciate Zach reading in Hebrews 1 and Hebrews 2. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. A few weeks ago, I got an email with a message, and I want you to see that message on the screen there. So, uh, hi, Curtis, your package has been delivered. This is always good news, so my package... What that means is that I got a book. Of course, that's what it means. I got a book. This one, because I'm such a great guy, this book was actually for somebody else, but that's beside the point. I can, I can give thumbs up whether it was great, thumbs down, not so great. So most of you know exactly what's going on there. Um, as I scroll down a little bit further, though, there was a picture attached to this message. And so can we look at the picture? So that is, uh, that is my book right there, but that is not my front door. So as I'm looking at that while I was at work, I was uh, recognizing, I know that front door, that's actually my neighbor's front door. And because I have some amazing, great neighbors, uh, a few hours later, she was coming up giving me my book and all was well. You can imagine I did not give them a thumbs up. I did give them a thumbs down for that particular one, but it was happy, I had a happy ending. I start that way because Hebrews is going to be landing at our front door today. Hebrews that was written 2,000 years ago. Hebrews that was written for a very different audience. For a, a group of believers gathered in and around the Mediterranean Sea. That message is actually coming to us today. And as it shows up on our front door. It's going to land right on target. I believe that. If you're a follower of Jesus, as we go through the book of Hebrews, as Lord willing, we're going to do over the next several weeks, I do want to let you know the, he the book of Hebrews, I, I don't know that any book will challenge you quite like this book of the Bible will. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you've yet to cross that line of faith, I also think this book will be right on target for you because it's going to give you an understanding of the core concepts of what Christianity is all about. Not some man-made interpretation of it, but actually what God wanted you to know about who his son is and what his son has done, what the Holy Spirit wants you to know as far as the grace and truth that God has for us. How can I be so confident that Hebrews is going to land for, for us? How, how can I be so confident that it's going to be right on target. Well, there are lots of reasons, but I actually want to set the table a little bit because I think it's important that we understand some amount of context. I don't want to belabor it, but I do want us to have an appreciation for the first hearers 
and the first readers of the book of Hebrews. What should we know about those first ones that listened to this book, listened to this letter being read? Well, we need to know some things about the world they lived in. The world that the first readers and listeners of this would have lived in. So the world that they lived in was a world that was extremely hard and extremely difficult, which that may help us appreciate how it's going to bridge into our world. We get several clues. So if you have time over the next week, I hope that you take some time to maybe read slowly and and thoughtfully through the book of Hebrews. But you're going to read of a people that are struggling. Life isn't easy, it's hard. And it's not that hard for us to even kind of exercise some imagination and realize if there's a group of people, if there's a dozen, if there's two dozen, if there's five dozen people as a part of this congregation, if there's a hundred, if there are 200 of the original readers and listeners to Hebrews. Is it that hard to imagine that some would have worries and care that would be coming in more and more intense? Is it hard to imagine that there might be of those first listeners some whose kids have broken their hearts? Is it hard to imagine that there would be caregivers hearing this who are totally exhausted? Is it hard to imagine that these words would land with single men and women? Is it hard for us to imagine that it would land on some that were aging or some caring for aging parents? Is it hard for us to imagine that it would land with some who are young and ambitious and have great ideas and dreams of what they want their life to be but also know? That there's some fear attached to that of what if, what if they don't get those opportunities? What if it doesn't all come together? As you read the book of Hebrews, you're going to read, it's coming, to, coming into a world that is hard, a world that is difficult. I think we can relate. But Hebrews was written also to people living in a world where there was a lot of pressure to conform and adjust and modify your beliefs just to get along. So there was a lot of pressure, a culture that, that they were living in that had different values and different priorities than a family of Jesus would have. And because of that, there seemed to be this constant press for everyone just to get on board. And, and what are you going to do when that press comes on? Does that have any resonance with where we are trying to live today as followers of Jesus? It's also a world that not everybody was a believer And so it's a world where people see Jesus differently or ignore him altogether. So here's a group of people that have committed their life to following Jesus, believe on what he did on the cross that that we sung about a moment ago. But they're living in a world that doesn't recognize his authority to speak to aspects of our lives. A world that's willing to marginalize followers of Jesus. A, A world that's willing to marginalize the authority of Jesus. And this was a world also where there's this constant temptation. This is the world that they lived in. This is the world we live in where there's this constant temptation to just take care of yourself. Kind of you do you. Or at least maybe your closest family. But really a world where do I have to think about others? Or do I just take care of my own? Do do I have to be involved in intentional community? Or do I just, like, no, I got mine and I'm taken care of. So that's the world of the followers of Jesus in the book of Hebrews, trying to walk by faith, 
trying to live for Jesus in this kind of world. And what you recognize is the world they were living in and the world we're living in is difficult. And I think I could add the word dangerous. You get these passages in Hebrews and they actually have a label. They're called warning passages. Because Hebrews is going to tell you, Hebrews is going to remind you that drifting away from what you believed at one time, that's a real possibility. Drifting or hardening your heart isn't just totally hypothetical. No, no, that could happen and that likely will happen if care is not taken. This is a world where it's difficult. We, we could disobey God's word. We could disengage from a meaningful commitment to Jesus. And that's actually on the table. So as we're walking together as believers, getting stuck or being deceived, these are live options. So Christians are facing and feeling some vulnerability and we can't pretend like we're immune to. We, we can't be, if we read Hebrews, we don't say, well, it never would happen to me. I would never drift. I would never harden my heart. I would never be deceived. I would never walk away. No, there's too many warnings in Hebrews going, be careful. Pay attention. Do we appreciate that? I think Hebrews will open our eyes to that. If that's the case with the people living in the first century, then what would really help them? How would they make it? That's why this book was written. Not only to say how they would make it, but also for us to like go wide-eyed into how are we going to make it? How are we going to endure? And I have no quick formulas, and I have no foolproof recipes to offer today, and neither deceivers, because that's not real life. There aren't these magic formulas that somehow make us endure. They just don't exist. But that's not the same thing as saying that there are no answers. How are we going to make it? There is an answer. And Hebrews will take us here again and again and again. And the answer is Jesus. And even saying that, I'm guarded because I realize it would be so easy to chalk that up to go, yeah, the Sunday school answer, of course, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. And yet I would have to remind you, some of the things that we learn in Sunday school are actually meant to take us our whole life, to take us decades to build upon. So I do recognize by saying Sunday school answer, it could be looked at as something like, well, that's kind of irrelevant, that, or that's for kids. But then I also go, well, some of the things we learn as children are meant to help us into our fifth and sixth and seventh decade of living. And this is one of those things. You're in such a difficult place if you want to live for Jesus that only Jesus will help. And the theme of this series of messages is going to be so much better. The fact that Jesus is so much better. Only he can help. So you need something better than a cheerleader, and you have someone who is so much better. You have a great high priest who is so much better. You need something more than Google to navigate all the, the questions you have and try to give you some answers. You need something better than that. And you actually have a trailblazer who's gone before you, who is the, the trailblazer of your faith. You have something so much better. You need something more and better than just unlimited positive affirmation. Everybody telling you you're a wonderful person, you're, you're the best, no, nobody's quite, you need more than that. And because of that, you need to know you have something so much better and that is not just a, an unlimited like positive affirmation. You have an advocate with a holy God, Jesus, who is so much better. 
you need something better than just getting to some zen-like state where nothing ever, ever like ruffles you, nothing ever bothers you. You actually need someone who can give rest in a world that's chaotic. And you have someone so much better. You need something better than willpower. I'm going to grit and grind. I'm going to be determined. I, I will make it. You need something more than that because your reserves are going to wear out. You need a lifeline. You need a rescuer to come. And Hebrews is going to say, you have something so much better than your willpower, however amazing it might be. So we're going to beat that drum. We're going to repeat that theme again and again and again, that Jesus is so much better. And, and there's some things that are worth repeating. I can tell you, I never get tired of hearing my, my, the fight song of my team. I never get tired of it. I hear it. I could hear it a thousand times. I could hear it after every single touchdown and it never gets old. And that's trivial compared to some other things that don't get old. Hearing I love you from a family member never gets old to me. On Friday night, I had the privilege of officiating a wedding. You know what never gets old to me is hearing the covenant vows that are made between a bride and a groom. You know what also never gets old to me is when I have the privilege of baptizing and being able to say once again, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It never gets old. And it never gets old to hear, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Or, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. None of that ever gets old. And hearing, we've got to be reminded, hearing that Jesus is so much better. That should never get old. So how do we, how do we hang on to that? That he is so much better. How do we hang on to that? Well, Hebrews is going to point us in a few places. And just kind of by way of introduction, preparing us for the next few weeks of living in this book. One thing Hebrews is going to tell so that we hang on to this idea that Jesus is so much better, it's going to keep pointing to us that we need a, a personal, firm confession. A confession of Jesus. And by confession here, I don't mean the confession when you do something wrong and, and you apologize or you acknowledge your sin. That's important. I'm talking about a different kind of confession. And this confession is where you are saying what you believe, what you know to be true. That kind of confession, especially about Jesus. A firm confession is what you're going to need. In Hebrews, is going to point us here again and again of who he is and what he's done. Zach read it a moment ago. The first few verses of Hebrews, Hebrews 1 lays out some awesome aspects of who Jesus is and what he's done. And what Hebrews does is it it then throws you in the deep end and it keeps you there for a while. Like you have to learn to swim in like, oh, this is who he is. Oh, this too, this as well. You begin to appreciate the depth and the scope of all that God has accomplished with eternal salvation and bringing many sons and daughters to glory. You get kind of this eternal, eternity past, eternity future and gives you that scope with lots of references to even the first Two-thirds of our Bible, the Old Testament, lots of references to that in Hebrews saying, this wasn't something that just got adapted on the fly. This is God planning to rescue people. When you come to the beginning of Hebrews, you begin to unpack exactly who Jesus is so that you can have that firm confession of, okay, this is who he is. This is what I believe. This is what I'm hanging on to. So actually what I like to do is something a little bit different than I normally do. So I want to read those verses, verses one to four again, but I actually want to, they're so dense and like every word, every, every pronoun, every preposition seems to be loaded with content that 
if I can, I don't want to add to God's word, but I do want to expand so that we have a clarity of what's being said. So the verses are going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read like an expanded paraphrase or expanded kind of translation that, that I've cobbled together that helps me appreciate all that's being said. So if you can kind of follow along with the actual text, I want to kind of fill in some of that so that we get that full picture. So verse one would tell us that in the past, long ago in the past, God caused prophets to speak on his behalf. And he did this many times and in many ways through many different people. Then it was the prophets through whom God was speaking. But verse two says, but now in these last days, these days which are the last, near the end of the age, it's not merely through the prophets that God is speaking, but God has definitively and finally spoken through his son. You see the verse by By God's command and appointment, the Son is commissioned now to take possession of the entire universe. The universe belongs by right to the Son since it was through him that God made it and everything that exists. Keep going. Look at verse 3. How awesome, how radiant, how full of glory, how full of wonder God is can 100% be seen in how full of glory the Son is. What is true about God the Father is entirely true about his son, Jesus. Through his own powerful words, the son, Jesus, causes all that exists to continue to exist. He holds the universe together. And at a point in time, he caused people's sin to be purified, wiped clean, forgiven, blotted out, thrown away, remembered no more. Since he had accomplished that work, he was honored by sharing fully in the majestic power and position of the one who is powerful above all. Verse four, God caused his son to be recognized and identified with the highest rank, greater rank than the angelic messengers of heaven by giving him the most superior name, a name that God said rightfully belonged to him. I just wanted to expand some of those words a little bit further so that we know when we're holding on to a firm confession, here's what we're holding. You have to make a decision about the son. You either believe all of what I just read, you either believe the words that were on that screen, or you don't. You either listen to him as authoritative, or you don't. You either honor his name or you take it in vain. He's not meant to be some sort of mascot for a club or a tribe. He's not meant to be kind of a a representation of all the positive energy in the world. He is a person and certain things are said about him. And do we recognize the authority of Jesus? Because with Jesus, being God in flesh, with authority and with grace, he If he has that kind of authority, then he actually can change your mind. He actually can set your priorities. He can actually determine what should be important to you. He is the anchor. He's the one that can bring the better future. That's why he's so much better. There's so many wrong ways we can go. And I say we can go with our lives. There's so many things we could base our life on. So I could listen to the expert podcast or I could read this bestseller or we could follow a celebrity Instagram post or we could find this, this teacher or this thing or we could go, well, I just think or I could base all of my life on, well, my opinion or my hot take on this is and we could put our feet on all those things. The problem with that is this world is so fickle and, 
and what it gets promoted and glorified one day gets canceled the next and gets kind of thrown into the garbage. And then like, then what do you do if you've based your life on this? Which is why Hebrews is going to say you need something firmer than your own opinion. And you need something firmer than what everybody in the world says. Well, this is what everybody's thinking right now. You've got to put your feet on like that firm confession with Jesus. We can't afford to lose our grip. We can't afford to lose our grip even if we're persecuted. We can't afford to lose our grip because it's convenient to just be cool, go along, get along, add, adjust, tinker with it so that like nobody's, nobody's frustrated. We don't have to say anything hard. We can't afford to lose our grip on this firm confession. Our firm confession of Jesus means he guides our priorities. He speaks 100% words of authority and truth into our life. And Hebrews is going to keep pointing us back to what do you believe about Jesus? Are you holding on to that? Or could that be adjusted based on how hard the situation is? Are you holding on to that firm confession? But it doesn't just leave us with a firm confession saying some true things about Jesus. It actually presses us one layer deeper into that, I think, by telling us it's not about just about a firm profession. Hebrews is going to point us to a deep ongoing relationship with Jesus. So yes, there's this firm profession, but it's not just a cold profession or a creed we would recite. It's actually a deep ongoing relationship that's expressed in our attention to Jesus and our obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And does that matter? Are we even trying? Do we care about those things? This is where the deep ongoing relationship how our faith is growing, even when it's tested, how we're talking to God in prayer. Lots of, in Hebrews, is about prayer. We have to take in all that the Bible says about Jesus. So when we think of this deep, ongoing relationship with Jesus, we're recognizing we do see Jesus as our Savior, but we also see him as our high priest that we go to. And we do see Jesus as God, but we also see him as a fellow human. And we do see Jesus as our Messiah, but not only that, we see him as our brother, And because of all those things, we're moved to a relationship with him. We're not just saying certain things about him that are true. We do that, yes, but we also are moved deeper into a relationship with him. This is the language and teaching of Hebrews. It's more than just facts assembled. The words are meant to take us to a relationship. And relationships take time. This week, I got time to spend with some uh, friends in our church, some, some of our church members, and I got the hear their heart and I got to hear them what they're praying about what they want what they want for their family and there was something about it that's like stuck with me because I got to know a little bit more of them they were vulnerable and shared oh this is the way relationships work it sticks with you because there's some connection there's something that goes deeper and Hebrews is pushing us that in that direction it's not just a confession we make we do hold fast to that we hold tight to that but we want a deep, ongoing relationship with Jesus. Hebrews 1 finishes out with, I think there are seven different references, Old Testament references to how superior Jesus is to the angels, the angels who even delivered, delivered God's, uh, the law, the instruction on Mount Sinai. And picking it up in Hebrews chapter 2, it kind of completes the thought, which is why I wanted Zach to read it a moment ago. 
So if you have Hebrews 2, can we do the same thing? I want you to look at the verses, but if I can expand some of those verses a little bit more, because it means based on everything we've just seen, it starts off in chapter 2 with the word therefore. So in other words, because all of this is true and in view of what God has done, it's even more critical to us to believe, to, to pay attention, to believe the truth, to realize even more that what we've heard can be trusted. We have to listen with our heart and put it into practice. And the reason that we do this, according to verse 1, is so that we don't drift, so we don't miss our destination, so that we don't fail to reach our goal. Verse 2, the earlier instruction the delivered to Moses by angels, that proved to be what you can really trust and rely on. So much so that it was binding and anyone who broke the law or disobeyed, didn't do what they were told would get what they deserved. That was right. But verse 3 asks a very important question. How then could we escape? How then can we possibly avoid being punished if we don't pay attention to how God worked to save us in such a wonderful way? Because it's the Lord Jesus himself, not angels, but the Lord Jesus himself was the first to announce the message, this way in which God rescues. And those who heard from him with their own ears, showed us clearly that as we hear the message, we can know it's reliable. Verse 4 added to this, God made it clear to us through actions, supernatural demonstrations which point to his power and by distributing gifts to his people that the Holy Spirit purposed to give them. We even have that witness confirmed and attested. Do you see all this put together? It's telling us there's more than just the confession. We also are having this deep, ongoing relationship with Jesus. Being confirmed with power, even today, gifts from the Holy Spirit that we would believe. If we don't, if we like, don't pay attention, if we neglect and distance begins to set in, do we think that's going to be okay? If, if our hearts grow cold, if they grow apathetic, if there's no stirring, if, if we begin to sing, lead me to the cross, and it doesn't move our hearts, Is it okay if we're not drawn toward repentance and faith? There's a call here. There's a warning here, and it's one we're meant to take seriously. You will need this to hold on to your faith. Firm confession, ongoing relationship. And there's one more place that Hebrews is going to point to us. We're not going to elaborate here today, but I do want to at least make sure you realize this. That Hebrews also is going to point not just to a firm confession, as well as that deep ongoing relationship, but it's going to point you toward intentional community if you're going to endure if you're going to survive intentional community with the family of Jesus intentional community and by that I don't mean the kind that you can opt in when you feel like it and opt out if you don't opt out when it gets uncomfortable but intentional community it says I'm going to be a part of the family of Jesus it's going to mean something to me I I read reread those verses in Hebrews 2 And I'm noticing all the first person plural pronouns. So I just want to highlight them for you just to see of it again. Therefore, it says in verse 1, we must pay much closer attention. Not just you, not just me, but us together. So we got to work on this together, church. We must pay more close attention to what we heard lest we drift away from it. Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, every transgression or uh, disobedience received a just retribution. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared to us first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard six times 
We and us, we and us. Intentional community. Leaning into the family of Jesus. A collective effort to say, I don't want to neglect what God has done in my life, but I don't want us to either. And that takes work. It's a collective effort to engage and re-engage. A collective effort to be invested in friendships. Invested in a culture of grace. Showing up, looking, looking for those who aren't or who seem to be drifting. Finding ways to speak truth to each other. And what's hard about this is the community of Jesus is not perfect. So unfortunately, like, relational elbows get thrown. And it gets uncomfortable. And it gets easy to go, well, if that's what they're going to be like, then I'm going to. It's so easy to do that. Which means it's going to be hard to stay in and work together. And it's also going to be hard because sometimes it doesn't seem that spectacular. You come into, you come into a place like this and we sing songs and we hear God's word and we pray and we read God's word. And it doesn't seem like there are fireworks, maybe nothing spectacular. You go to a Sunday Bible study. Champ talked about going to community group and you go there and maybe, maybe one given evening nothing seems to happen. And Maybe you serve and nothing seems like it's happening. It seems like it's mundane and ordinary. But what if every time we gather together, we're reminding ourselves? On Christ, the solid rock I stand, and we hear that one more time. We're reminding ourselves of lead me to the cross. And we remind ourselves even in a moment when I survey the wondrous cross, we, we collectively are pushing each other toward that again and again and again. It's not just about your firm confession. It's not just about your ongoing deep relationship. It's something more. It's a collective effort. It's being part of a community that serves and loves and speaks and engages and sacrifices and shares and enjoys and weeps and endures. And that has this magnetic pull to bring us back when we, when we tend to drift what I've tried mostly to do today is to set a table and maybe just like as any good meal you kind of snack a little bit before it gets going so, so we get a little bit and I wanted to I, but, but can I leave you just with a few ideas maybe with a little bit more than just kind of a suggestion I, I would really, really love for you to take some time in this week to read through to, to read a, a chapter of Hebrews to dig a little bit deeper, to ask questions that maybe I didn't even cover today, to look for, find, find some cross-references. There, there will be more here than we could possibly digest in a few minutes each Sunday morning. And I want you to read, but I, I don't want you to just read for information. I want you to read in pursuit of relationship. So when Jesus says, come to me, those who are weary, that's, what, that's how I want you to read. Like you are coming to Jesus. And when Isaiah says, seek me while I may be found, that's the way, like Jesus said, God the Father said, seek me, and that's the way I want you to read. Or when James and Peter say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Yeah, that drawing near to him, saying, Lord, I, I don't know that I can even do this well. I don't know that I'm that good at it, but that's the intent of my heart is I want to draw near to you. Relationships take time, but a deep relationship with God, surely, surely the effort would be worth it. And I've asked the Lord for something unique to happen. So it's not, oh, I want God to work in every individual's lives. But, but I, I feel like I'm asking for more than that. I'm asking God, do something collectively for our community together. Because what if, what if we lean in? We might be weary and we might be tired. And I think it's not like might. We are weary. We are tired. We're all exhausted for some reason or another. 
But what if collectively God renewed our strength, not just mine and not just yours, but collectively? And what if in exposing ourselves to the Lord who is, while we're weary and tired, he is patient and strong. We're not moved by the fat of the day or even the crisis of the day because there surely will be some. We're actually going deeper. We're going deeper, maybe even with three to five people, one to two persons, five to 10 people. We're going deeper with them. What if at the beginning of the year, we'd have to work for that. I don't think we're going to drift that way, but what if that we did that work? And what if love was driving that effort? And what if the Holy Spirit gave us that fresh desire and energy? Can you imagine what God might do to stabilize us in a very destabilizing time? That's what I'm praying for. And I want to I start by praying now, and then we'll close our time in singing. Father, you've given us many things to think about. You have brought us, you've brought something to our front door. And whether we expected it to come, it's here. I pray that we would hold on to our firm confession of you where that is drifting for some maybe in this room where they are asking questions about what they really believe about who Jesus is. Maybe they believed all their life, but now they're not so sure. I pray this would firm up our confession and I pray we would go deeper into a relationship with you where that might've gotten cold and we will we will benefit not just from our own individual pursuits, but a community pulling together, not just asking where am I with Jesus, but where are we with Jesus? I pray that would happen in multiple ways. So Lord, do this so that it would be for your glory and for our good. And we thank you that these are the kinds of prayers that I know you love to answer. So we pray with, with faith, believing that you can do all things and that you are good. And so generous Father, we pray that you would be good once again and do this for our church family and bring people along this, um, along this path to grow with us as well. In Christ's name we pray, amen.